All right, 2 Thessalonians 2, we'll try to get on and get off here tonight and, and uh, get you to the barn, but I'd like to give you some more things about preaching. Now, you've been hearing some things about it, and some of you are visiting, and you didn't know that, and you've been uh, quite gracious in your reception of it, gracious in your reception of it. Uh, some of you uh, already know what I'm fixing to preach to you tonight and know, or know about these things, but sometimes the redundancy is a good way to have recall. It's a good way. Repetition is a great, uh, a great teacher. Sometimes, no matter how many times you go over it and go over it and go over it, you still don't get it. And uh, some people are that way. But redundancy and uh, repetition is a good way for you to just be reminded sometimes. So Paul says this. We picked it up there in verse number 8. Being affectionately desirous of you, we were willing to have imparted unto you, not the gospel of God only, but also our own souls, because you're dear unto us. For ye remember, brethren, our labor and travail, laboring night and day, because we would not, uh, would not be chargeable unto any of you, we preached unto you the gospel of God. Obviously, Paul's not preaching 24 hours a day. Some of that involves physical labor, but some of it's in the care of the churches. Paul says in verse 10, Your witnesses in God also, how holily and justly and unblameably we behaved ourselves among you that believe. As you know, how we exhorted and comforted and charged every one of you, as a father doth his children, that you would walk worthy of God who hath called you unto the, his kingdom, uh, unto his kingdom and glory. For this cause also thank we. God without ceasing, because you received the word of God, which you heard of us, you received it not as word of men, but as it is in truth, the word of God, which effectually worketh also in you that believe. Brother Brad, pray, would you please, and ask the Lord to help us out. Heavenly Father, it's a blessing to be here tonight on Wednesday night, Lord. We're excited to hear what you've got to hear to say to us, Lord. I just pray to the preacher. Uh, give him unction from on high, hiding behind the cross, Lord. And Give us exactly what we need. We just thank you, Lord, for all you're doing in this church right now with everything going on. I just pray you just be with everything that's uh, happening and, and uh, with the building and uh, with just everything. Lord. Amen. Just, uh, just pray you just be with us tonight, Lord. Just thank you for all your many blessings. We ask these things in your precious name. Amen. Amen. Thank you. You can be seated. Come to Colossians chapter 2. Let me just tap a couple of things here real quick. When it says, not as the word of men, one of the ways that you can distinctly determine whether or not it's real preaching is whether or not it comes from the Bible. Now, I know that sounds silly to you. I know that some of you are thinking, well, who doesn't know that? A majority of preaching that goes on nowadays, and you check it out for your own, don't take my word for it, the majority of preaching nowadays is not done in a, out of a Bible. It's done out of a workbook or it's done out of these ideas or thoughts or they give you things that they get off the internet or whatever it might be, but it's not giving you Bible preaching or expository preaching. One preacher said expository preaching takes too long to preach. Well, it may take too long to preach, but ladies and gentlemen, the mistake in the, that many people have made nowadays is they've turned the church into a place of entertainment. And so what they begin to do is, is worry about more about how long the crowd has to sit than whether or not they're giving them what the crowd came to get. And so now all of a sudden it's like, well, we have to make you comfortable. Well, if you're not comfortable in a padded pew with a lumbar seat and a blanket over you, I don't know how other than put in easy chairs to make you more comfortable. But church always isn't about being comfortable. Sometimes, ladies and gentlemen, it requires you to kind of bear down a little bit. It's like going to school. I never sat in a padded pew at school. 
I always sat in a desk, in them little old bitty desk, and then later on into chairs, uh, and then they got bigger desks, and then they got tables, but the chairs were always hard. Uh, they didn't care. I never sat when I was playing ball. I played a little bit of ball along the way. We sat on a bench. It was a wooden 2x12 uh, plank that was bolted down, had splinters in it. They painted it whatever the team colors were and those kind of things. Or you sat up in the bleachers. Or if you played basketball, you sat on the, ble the same bleachers that everybody else sat up there on the bleachers. You didn't have that. You know what? People would come and sit in a ball game and they'd sit on the bleachers and they'd sit in those hard chairs for school. They'd go to college and sit in all that kind of stuff and they come to church and if you don't have padded pews and you don't have lumbar support and you don't have carpet on the floor and all that, it's kind of like, well, y'all don't care about us. You have to realize, ladies and gentlemen, sometimes it's not all about creature comforts. It's not all about optics and how nice it looks and how pretty things are and how dainty and that kind of a deal. I mean, sometimes God speaks to you in a brush arbor. Sometimes God speaks to you at a youth camp. Sometimes God speaks to you when everything makes your flesh uncomfortable. Once your flesh gets uncomfortable and gets worn out, I hate to tell you this, but God can get some work done. Now in Colossians chapter number 2, when he said you didn't receive it as men, you want to recognize in verses 14 to 17 that uh, they're wanting to add some things that are to the, uh, to the Bible. And one of those things is, is that if I work really hard and I do religious rituals, that it'll cleanse me from my sin. Religious works, I'm in verses 2, we'll look through old 17, 18, 19 here in a minute. But you know what you'll find out? The blotting out of the handwriting of the ordinances in verse 14, that took place on Calvary. You can't do anything to blot that out. They try to teach you nowadays that it'll sanctify you. It doesn't sanctify you, it won't save you, and it won't satisfy you. You have to recognize that you have to trust the fact that by faith, Jesus Christ died for your sins according to the Scripture, was buried and raised again the third day according to the Scripture, period. Now, if you want to have fellowship with Jesus Christ, you have to learn to confess your sins before the Lord Jesus Christ and ask Him to forgive you. And then after you do that, you know what He says to you? He's faithful and just to forgive your sins and cleanse you of all unrighteousness. But you have to be careful of these individuals who are trying to always put you in the harness as if it's proof that you're really saved and sanctified. That doesn't mean, and the Apostle Paul teaches it all throughout the Bible, that if you are saved, you ought to be looking for something to do. So you can't hide behind laziness your entire life. You can't just say, well, I just came to sit and to learn and to sit and to soak and those kind of things. The Apostle Paul, all through the Bible, says to be careful to maintain good. Do you know what the word is? Works. That means you should work in the nursery if you can. It means you should cook a meal if you can. It means you should pick up after yourself if you can. It means that you should do more than just sit and soak. And if you can only sit and soak, thank God you can sit and soak. But don't get this idea that coming to church means that I just have a pass on anything. I'm just coming to eat all the time. You know what can happen to you is you just eat all the time, then you just get fat all the time, and then before long you're like Jezron, whack, fat, wax, fat, and then you kick every time somebody tries to put you in the harness just to try to get you to do something. I believe, and one of the greatest things that you can do is get you a few tracks in your pocket. You don't have to get five million tracks sticking out and that kind of a thing. Try to give out one a week. Right. You say, well now preacher, you know, I get a so-and-so and I give out 25 a week and all that. Okay, well, for the rest of us, one a week. Just give out one a week. Could you do that? Just pass out a track. You say, what is that? That's called evangelism. It's not called soul winning. It's called evangelism. You know, let's go soul winning. Let's just evangelize. How about that? How about you go tell somebody what Jesus Christ did for you? 
How about just getting in the habit of doing that? Don't make it so difficult. Well, I got to have the Romans road down and I got to have this and I got to have that. Don't try to make it so hard, ladies and gentlemen. Try to learn to make it a part of your everyday life and find opportunities to do that and pray about it. And if the Lord gives you a chance to hand somebody a track, hand somebody a track. Especially if you're not good. I know there's a gentleman in our congregation and he's not real outspoken and he doesn't real do real well. He doesn't particularly care for people. He has to work hard at it. And it's hard for him to talk to people, but he can hand them a track. Just try to hand them a track. You say, why is that? Just prove I'm saved? No, to evangelize the sinner. To let them know that there's a way out. To let them know that there's a track that they can put in their hand. Let me say this, and you got a lot of this from Brother Sam. He just went through all the stuff in, in uh, uh, the book of Colossians there. Look in verses 18 and 19. There's no special revelation coming to you. You see that? Nowadays what they're trying to do, and I just saw a thing on it today that a guy sent me and he said, Hey man, you know what's back in the news again? You just said something about the uh, Revelation 12 uh, prophecy. It's back in the news again. We're out of here on the 23rd. And I said, praise the Lord. And he said, really? And I said, well, I hope he's right. I don't think he is, but, but the bottom line is, is this guy said, hey, you know, it's in Virgo again and coming out and it's going to pop out and when it does, the planet's going to do this and we're going to get out of here and then there's going to be a nuclear exchange and all this kind of stuff. I just said, listen, man, thanks for this, but I don't have time for all of this stuff. I, by the time I would get through reading all of that ream of stuff like that, I wouldn't have time to do anything else. I said, I'm glad you got a chance to look at it. And he said, well, what do you think about it? I said, I guess we'll know on the 23rd. But ladies and gentlemen, you have to be careful about this trodden into angels and demons and demonic activity and Ouija boards and seances and crystal balls and all these people that are out there prophesying and telling you things that are going to happen in the future. I can tell you what's going to happen in the future. You're going to die. I can tell you what's going to happen in the future. If you're saved, you're going to heaven. If you're not, you're going to hell. If you're saved, you're going to the judgment seat of Christ. If you're not, you're going to pop up at the great white throne judgment. Then you're going to cast into the lake of fire. That's the end of your prophecy lesson for the day. See, what's going to happen? The majority of the entire book of Revelation is going to take place while you're up at the judgment seat. You know what the devil would love to get you to do? Get you so busy studying the book of Revelation that you study nothing about the judgment seat at all and show up up there naked and ashamed. Because you spend all your time worrying about what ain't even going to happen to you down here. I love studying. You even get a blessing for reading the book of Revelation. But you have to be careful. You get sidetracked on all that stuff. That's the voluntary worshiping of angels. There used to be a guy that was here years and years and years ago. When we first started, we were over here. He first started, he was up in Fernandina. And he was teaching his people to baptize angels. And he had the women coming and bowing down to him. And, and they were confessing their sins publicly in the church and doing all that kind of stuff. And he had names of angels in big cities and stuff. I don't know what the name of the angel was here. And he's uh, baptizing them to try to cleanse the city and all kinds kind of crazy stuff like that. You know what you need to do with that? Kick it to the curb. Stick with the practical stuff. Stick with the stuff, ladies and gentlemen, that help you to get under conviction and help you to live right and do right and act right. Stuff you can pass on to little kids. You're raising children. Give them something that will help them along the way so that when they're your age, they're still coming to church. Make God real to them. Don't give them some kind of way out crazy stuff. They got enough stuff on their computers and all that that are playing all these games that are dealing with fantasy worlds and stuff like that. Give them something straight up that will help them in an everyday life. Talk to them about a relationship with the Lord. Get out and pray with them. 
uh, spend some time with them, read the Bible with them, and tell them some Bible stories, and take the Bible story. I mean, beef it up a little bit. Tell them Noah's Ark and make animal noises. I mean, you know, some of you are trumpeting elephants. You wouldn't have a problem, you know, being able to do that. Some of you can be a donkey pretty well. Right? You know how that comes in. Some of you know, some of you ladies, you're a lion. Yes. Right? You know, you, you know how to growl. Some of you know how to screech like a peacock. Make some of those noise. Make the, make the Bible interesting to them. Spend some time with it. Stay, steer clear of these individuals who don't have biblical doctrine and solid foundation to give you stuff from that Bible. You say, what? Well, don't clutter your mind with it. Now listen, I wouldn't take it away from you. I'm not a book burner. I'm not an individual to tell you. I'm just telling you, for me, all that stuff does is create confusion. God's not the author of confusion. All this, you know, uh, uh, differing opinions, differing opinions. For me, I go by the KISS theory. Keep it simple, stupid. Or keep it stupid simple. For me, the best things in life are the most simple things in life. The things that I can apply on a daily basis. And all the deep things that are in there, they're fun to look at, but they don't help me when it comes to plowing the taters, when it helps to fixing the roof, paying my bills, dealing with people's personal problems. That stuff doesn't help me in the least. Now, maybe it helps you. But all that stuff tends to do is to swell my head up so big I can't get through the double doors back there. And you can't prove any of it. There's no way to argue with somebody because there's no definitive scripture on the thing. So what do I have to do? I just stick with the practical stuff. Amen. Now, he said, when you, we talked to you, you didn't receive it as the word of men. <clears throat> but he said, you received it as, excuse me, as it was, in fact, the word of God. Uh, Christian, uh, uh, your Christian life doesn't depend. Come to uh, uh, Luke chapter 18. Just popped in. Luke chapter 18. Oh, yeah. Luke 18. It, it, it doesn't depend on some kind of special revelation. Years ago, it's not as prevalent now, but years ago, during the charismatic movement, every time somebody came, they had some kind of a prophecy deal coming out of there on a regular basis. And uh, the next thing you know, it's what did you, what did you dream about and what did you see? And I had a dream and you had a dream and we had a dream and what about this? Or then they wanted to get you involved in uh, promoting your, uh, your gifts, whatever your sign gifts were. And then the Baptists turned that thing around after a period of time. And what they did was is they turned it in. We realized that we didn't believe in speaking in tongues, but everybody's going to take a test and find out what spiritual gift you had. And most everybody that took that test in the Southern Baptist Church came out with a gift of helps. That thing was a, a, a deal to try to get more people to work in the church. I'm going to tell you how to get people to work in the church. I'm going to tell you why you don't work in the church. You get closer to the Lord, you're surprised He would allow you to do anything in the church. And if you're doing it for any other reason than the Lord, you're doing it for the wrong reason anyway. And you're going to always be bitter at everybody that ain't doing whatever it is you're doing. And you recognize this about yourself. When you get so grateful that God did something for you, you want to do something for Him. And if you're not grateful, then you're not interested in doing anything for Him. Now, those of us that do anything at all for Him, we realize who it is doing it. It's not me doing it. It's Him doing it through me. It has nothing to do with me at all. But I'm amazed that He would use somebody like me. That's a humbling thing. I, I mean, I have to shave every day, folks. I, I'm, I'm still amazed by that. I know me. And I'm thinking, what'd you call me off the bench for? I don't mind doing it. I'm not complaining at all. I love doing it. But, I, but I'm still enamored by that. Why aren't you? 
I mean, you're saved and in a Bible-believing church with a King James Bible in your lap. You have eternal security. You're going home. Some of you, you're, you're, your face is so long you could eat ice cream out of a butter churn. You're saved. Amen. Yeah, but people. Yeah, but you're a people. Don't you realize somebody that's irritated you, you've probably irritated somebody? Who do, how do you know you're not reaping what you sowed? Why don't you spend... Amen. Why don't you spend time putting some right seeds in the ground? And you say, well, what else? maybe the Lord allowed the other to have crop failure. Now, I look at stuff now. I see folks in the church sometimes. The Lord said, you used to be the same way. I'm like, Lord, good night. Why don't you let me have a crop failure? The Lord said, no, I'll let you know how you made somebody feel by how you acted. Boy, that's a lesson you don't want to learn much. He that haveth friends must what? Well, do you? No, you don't. You know what you do? Nobody likes me. Everybody hates me. Well, did you show yourself friendly? We used to have a lady, I won't tell you where, but a little bit over to my right and a little toward the back. She sat there. I won't tell you where, but somewhere in here. And we'd, back in those days, we'd get up and shake hands and people walk around and get up from over here and go over here and shake hands and stuff like that. And she'd stay seated. She wouldn't even stand up. Sit there like this. And then come after the service was over and nobody, not one person came up and said anything to me. That's what she said. Every Sunday we had handshaking. She'd drop by on the way out to the car and say, nobody even came by and spoke to me. You know what I did? I watched. I shouldn't have. You know, he says, watch and pray. I watched. <laughs> I never saw her one time get up and go speak to somebody. Not once. Well, she, she's the queen bee. You come speak to me. I'm special. Okay. Well, you know, people make an effort to try to speak to her. And then what they got when they got there was a paper tiger, man. I didn't mean to offend you, brother, already. <laughs> Look in Luke 18. You, you have to watch that stuff, ladies and gentlemen. They'll promote the wrong kind of, uh, of modesty and, and uh, a mentality when it comes to Christ, but they'll also promote this, this self-worship, this will worship. Now, I'm going to hit you Bible believers right here. Here in Luke chapter number 18, you have a picture of a Bible believer in the Gospels. And this guy lives for the purpose of looking at everybody else because he's the judge of everyone. Let's see what the Lord says about it. You say, why? You know what these men will tell you? These men will tell you that uh, a stricter set of rules or a, a better set of dress standards makes you a better Christian. Let's see if it comes true. Look in verse number 9. We're in 18. And they spake a peril unto a certain which trusted in themselves that they were righteous. And what? That's rough. You ever read that? The Lord ever hit you with that? 
The Lord ever hits you with that when you see somebody that don't have on what you think they ought to have on? Or they come in late and leave early? Or they're not doing what you're doing? You know what the Bible says? You're righteous and you despise others. Do you pray for them? I told you I was going to get the Bible believers now. It's Wednesday night. It's just home folks. See, preacher, I don't really despise others. Do you take advantage of others? Do you always err on the doing the right thing? Do you consider the eternal picture? Well, let's go a little further. Two men went up to the temple to pray. They're both in church. Amen. The one a Pharisee, the other a publican. The Pharisee stood and prayed with us within himself. With himself. He ain't praying to God. He's praying himself. God, I thank thee that I am not as other men are, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, even as this publican. I fast twice in a week. I give tithes of all I possess. And the publican, standing afar off, would not lift up so much as his eyes unto heaven, but smote upon his breast and saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other, for everyone that exhausted himself shall be abased, and he that humbleth himself shall be exalted. Is that what it says? Can I ask you a question? You ever have individuals that are talking to you that are telling you that a stricter standard, a stricter dress code, and more of this and more of that makes you better than other people? That's what you see here. What you see here is a religious form of worship and the individual thinks because he's doing everything and ticking all the boxes, he's better than the guy that's saying, be merciful to me, a sinner. One of them recognizes who he is and the other one has no idea. Now, which of those two are you? I don't know. I'm just asking you. Come over to 2 Thessalonians, if you would, please. 2 Thessalonians. You say, what is that? That's preaching that you get nowadays. Preaching you get nowadays, ladies and gentlemen, a focus is on the outward appearance all the time. Just constantly, constantly going. I'm telling you, I'm telling you, I've been doing this a long time, and I'm going to tell you something, and it's going to shock you. You can't force spirituality. And I'm telling you now, if you want to help somebody with certain things, you know what you have to learn to do? You have to change their heart. They're just as headstrong as you are. And you wouldn't change either, and they ain't changing just for you. You want to get somebody to really learn to love the Lord, you've got to teach them to fall in love with Jesus. You've got to figure out a way to get them to do it. Their problem is their heart's in the wrong place. Just getting outward conformity, ladies and gentlemen, that doesn't do anything. Giving tithes and fasting and, and dressing a certain way and not making a fool of yourself in the church service and all that. The Lord said, the guy that's over there saying, Lord, be merciful to me, a sinner. Uh, he goes down justified. And the other individual walks out of there thinking, boy, I had a church service today, man. I ain't everybody saw me. But I really laid it down the pipe today, man. Just telling you. They know. I mean, I know Brother Brad ain't going to publish the tithing records, but if he did, they'd know who I am. See, preacher, I'd never be that way. Good. Praise the Lord. 
But you let somebody walk in and start getting attention that you don't get. We'll see how quick that other fellow comes out. Is the Apostle Paul, he comes over here and he says this in verse uh, chapter 3, 2 Thessalonians chapter number 3. You get straight Bible preaching and most people say they like it. They do until it rests on their doorstep. The way you generally respond to that, ladies and gentlemen, is, well, that may be true. This is how you'll argue with your husband and your wife. You'll say, well, that may be true, but I'm not as guilty as you. I may be 10%, but you're 90%. So therefore, you know what the Lord wants to know? Why don't you fix the 10%? Amen. Amen. But we don't like that. We got the wrong theology. That's how the Holy Spirit deals with it. The Lord said, I'll take the 90%. Or when are you taking care of that? As soon as I take care of you. You know what that Bible says? That Bible says in the book of Job that uh, the Lord wouldn't release the captivity of Job until you know what the answer is? Until what? Do you know what it was? Until he did what? He got a loose term of friends. Do you see what his friends did? Miserable comforters? They accused him the whole time and turned him into the enemy of God and said all kind of blasphemous, ungodly things about him and stuff like that. And the Lord said, pray for him and I'll take the captivity off of you. Boy, you want to have a, something to fast about? You fast about your enemies. You pray for them. Well, you complain about them enough. Do you tell him? Well, why not? If a prayer's just, why not? Why won't you tell him? I can tell you why you don't tell him. You're afraid of what he might say to you. Lord, my stinking wife is just Jezebel on wheels. Lord said, well, she's married to Ahab. What do you expect? <laughs> See? What is that? This is Bible preaching. But some of you are already saying, oh, it's the word of men. And why are you under conviction? That's a hard thing to do, man. Pray for your enemies? Paul says this in 2 Thessalonians chapter number 3. <clears throat> Look, if you will, please, in verse number uh, 6. Now we command you, brethren, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, withdraw yourselves from every brother that walketh disorderly and not after the traditions which you received of us. For yourselves know how we ought to follow us, for we behave not ourselves disorderly among you. Would you agree that that has to be coming from the Lord, not Paul? Paul said if somebody's disorderly, you know what he said? He said, don't straighten them out. He said, don't walk with them. Are you obedient to that? Well, let's go a little bit further. Verse number 9, not only because we have not power, but to make ourselves an example unto you to follow us. For even when we were with you, we commanded you that if any should not, would not work, neither should he eat. For we hear that there are some that walk among you, the disorderly, not working, are working not at all, but are 
That's your crowd? How much do you know about everybody else's business? A busybody is somebody in everybody else's business. Now them, we, uh, now them that are such, we command and exhort by our Lord Jesus Christ that with quietness they work and eat their own bread. But ye, brethren, be not weary in well-doing. Verse number 14. And if any man obey not our word by this epistle, note that man have no company with him that he may be... The Lord says there's something about biblical separation. Come back, if you will, please, to 1 Thessalonians chapter number 2. Now, let's just say for a minute that uh, uh, you go to a doctor here. Paul said, when you received it, not as a word of men, you received it as the word, uh, not as a word of men, but as it was, in fact, the word of God, but effectually worketh in what? You that what? All right, so let me, let me see if I can make this illustration for you. You go to the doctor, and the doctor says you got the epizoulis. And you say, okay, well, I've never heard of the epizoulis before. Well, it's a strange thing that happens, and you got that, and you definitely have all the symptoms, and we've diagnosed you with that. And uh, we're going to have you write this prescription to go to Costco's or, you know, or the Rx or whoever the pharmaceutical company is <clears throat> and pick up that medicine. If you'll take that medicine three times a day for uh, a few days, uh, you'll get past, you'll get over the epizoulis. And some will take that prescription and they'll put it on the shelf and they'll just, you know, are you any better? No. Did you go see the doctor? Yeah. But I don't think he's right about the diagnosis. Who's ever heard of the epizoulis before? Well, I don't know, man. It's some kind of strange thing. I, I got no idea what it is. But if the doctor says you got the symptoms, why not take the medicine? Oh, I think he's got the diagnosis wrong. I don't think he knows what's really wrong. Okay, you go get a second opinion. No, I don't need a second opinion. I read WebMD. I'm, I'm, I'm good. You're still sick, aren't you? Yeah. Now you say, well, you're sick because he didn't take the medicine. No, no. He's sick because he didn't believe that the diagnosis was real. Right. Paul said the word of men. That's just a man talking. You go to the doctor and the doctor says, the same doctor says to you, man, I don't know, I just saw a patient this morning had the epizoulis. You got the epizoulis too. You two go to the same church, you all in the same boat fishing together or something like that. Matter of fact, he's a friend of mine. We, we work together at so-and-so. He said, well, you got it. It's contagious, man. And you've come down with it. You got the epizoulis. Okay, well, what do I need to do? Well, if you want to get rid of it, you go down to the pharmacy, you get this medicine, you take three a day for however many days, and you'll get past the epizoulis. And the individual goes over there and says, okay, you get out in your car and you say to your wife, hey, I got the epizoulis. What the cat here is epizoulis? I never heard nothing about epizoulis. I don't know. Doctor says, I got it. I know I don't feel good. I'm going to run over here to a pharmaceutical company. I'm going to get my medicine and I'm going to take my medicine. Okay, sounds good to me. In a couple days start feeling better and about three days later, yeah, I'm feeling pretty good. I'm doing good. And your friend still got the epizoulis. You say, well, it's because one took the medicine and the other one didn't. No, no, it's not at all. It started with not believing what the doctor said. Now, if you want to make some, long, some, some headway with the Lord, you have to learn to start believing what God says when He says it, no matter if it is a donkey talking. Balaam got in a lot of trouble over there because the donkey tried to tell him what was going on and all he did was beat the tar out of the donkey. There's a great message in all that kind of a stuff, but all the donkey's doing is saying, man, I'm trying to save your fool neck. You got the epizoulis and you're going to die. Take the cotton-picking medicine. And all he did was beat the donkey. 
<clears throat> until the Lord loosed the lips of the donkey and he talked to him. And then after that, the Lord opened the eyes and he said, you see that angel fixing to cut your head off? Why, if it wasn't for that donkey you're beating, you'd be dead right now. Paul said, it effectually works in you that believe. You have difficulty in believing what God says. You know what you have to do after you're saved? You have to go back to have faith in what God said. God will put your faith to the test sometimes. God will put you through things you don't get, you don't understand, you don't appreciate. You have to learn to believe the promises that are in that book. You say, what is it? You're walking by faith, ladies and gentlemen. Did God say it? But here's where it gets hard. Where it gets hard is like Paul getting on to the Corinthians. Paul's getting on to the Corinthians and he's telling them truth about their personal lives. And they didn't like it. And Paul had to come back in 2 Corinthians and correct them even more so until they recognized, wait a minute, man, that ain't Paul talking. That's God using Paul to talk to us. I'm not trying to exalt the office as a pastor or something to try to become your dictator. I'm trying to say that there'll be times when I'm preaching or one of these other boys will be up here preaching or you'll hear preaching during the Jubilee and God will ring your bell and the first dip out for you as Bible believers is to go, well, he's in the flesh. That's just a man talking. We don't need that a man teach us. We got the Holy Ghost to teach us. And the Lord said, okay, don't take the medicine then. And if you don't take the medicine, you know what happens? You get worse. Amen. You go back to the doctor. You know what the doctor says? This is my personal life. You go back to the doctor. I go back to the Lord. I say, Lord, I'm back here again. You know, I'm still having the problem I was having before. Here's the first question he says to me. Did you take the medicine I gave you? Amen. Amen. Did you do what I told you to do? Well, Lord, I, I mean, I, you know, I was going to, but I, just, I wasn't really sure that it, that it was going to work or not. So you, so you think you know more than me. That's the bottom line. Or you would have done it. Well, I know my friend got better. What did you give him? Some kind of a sugar pill or something like that or whatever? No, I gave him the same prescription I gave you. But the difference was, is he believed what I told him and went and bought the medicine and took it. And he's well now and you're worse. Well, what are you going to do? Just go ahead and give me the medicine. My prescription's out now. Let me go ahead and get the prescription and take it. No, it's too late now, man. It's metastasized. It's gotten worse. Stay with me. I'm almost done. See, ladies and gentlemen, when God speaks to you and you don't move, it is not this idea, well, I pick up where I left off. No, light rejected becomes lightning, and all of a sudden you lose an opportunity there, and the next thing you know, you come back to it and give me the medicine, and the Lord's like, no, it's gone further than that. Take more than medicine now. Right. Lord, I mean, can't you give me a break? I tried to give you a break. You came to me. I told you what was wrong. You didn't want to... Amen. Amen. Right? So what winds up happening? Well, you either get bitter or you go ahead and take the medicine or you lay on the table and then cut your heart out and replace your heart with the right heart. Otherwise, you know what happens? You join all these Christians that are out here where God eventually crossed them. It ain't people. You ain't fooling me. It ain't people. These people didn't leave church because of people. They left church because finally God said to them, Hey, you love me more than you love them or not. You're going to let anything keep you? Never. Nothing will keep me from God. Nothing will keep me from church. Nothing will keep me. I'm going out, boy. My britches will be on fire. I'll be standing with one foot in hell and the other one in heaven. I'm telling you right now. I'm there and all that. And then all of a sudden you start recognizing, there I am. I'm out. Can you give a witness, ladies? It's twice as hard on you as it is on men. 
especially if you're single and by yourself. Ain't going to get me. I'm here. I'm staying. You don't get invited to the party. You don't get invited to the whatever the thing is up here, the hot now, the, the donut or whatever it might be. And you found all you needed. You say what? Word of men. God said you need medicine. You're sick. You know why they're not here? They're sick. It's not you. Don't let anybody blame you for it. It ain't you. It's spiritual if you're saved. You wrestle not if that Bible's right against flesh and blood, but against principalities, power, spiritual weakness, rulers of darkness in high places. Why you got so many enemies? Come on. I know I'm, I know I'm swimming in deep water here. I'll come up for air in just a minute. You know, it's a, you, you believe it is the Word of God until all of a sudden it comes down and He says, you're the one with the epizoulis. And then all of a sudden, the medicine you want everybody else to take, you won't even go pick up the prescription. You say, where are you right now? You're in the drugstore. That's a mouthful. Paul's commending one of the most persecuted churches in all the New Testament. He's commending them. You know what he's saying to them? He's saying when we preached to them and we gave them those hard and difficult things, he said they received it not as it were the Apostle Paul and the preachers preaching, but it was in fact the Word of God and they believed it and that's why it worked on them. Has it been a while since it's worked on you? Been a while since the tears ran down your cheeks? There was some joy in your heart? There was a burden for souls. You just all hung up in the business of stuff. The last time you felt like God spoke to you. Heavenly Father, I pray as we...